Recorded live. Scuba Obsessed is the weekly podcast. We talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear, places to dive, and scuba in the news. Scuba Obsessed episode 193 is recorded live March 13th, 2014. Welcome back to Scuba Obsessed. I'm Darren Jilson from the west part of Michigan, where we have just set a record for the most ice on Lake Michigan since 1978. Joining me this week, we have Mac the Dive Mentor. How are you doing today, Mac? I'm doing pretty good. Glad to be here. And also joining us this week, we have Jim Schultz. How are you doing today, Jim? I'm glad to be with both of you. Excellent. Glad both of you could make it. Glad everybody can make it in the chat room. Also, for those who can't make it, you're appreciated just as much this is usually where i should this sounds like i should make a pitch you know buy buy something we need to sell something so they could buy it but yeah we did we set a record on lake michigan for the most ice cover and and that was a few days ago do you mac do you think we built some more ice uh it's actually coming and going again uh we went flying the other day and there was a lot of open water areas so it's not as intense as it has been, and we got a little activity of wind out there, kick things around. Mm-hmm. So it, it closed up again, but I don't think it's nearly as solid because 50 degrees and rain really takes its uh, toll. But on the other hand, we had strong winds out of the north for 24 hours, and it was 2 degrees below zero this morning. So a lot of that may have piled up and refrozen. We just need to go flying again, Mac. <laughs> well, so you still there, Mac? I'm here. Maybe hear. we lost Mac. Nope, I'm here. You don't hear me? No, we didn't no, hear we you. No, we did. We lost you for a minute. You just started to say, Uh-oh. "Well." Oh. Yeah, you were. So we let off with flying, and then it was silent. Oh, sorry about that. Yeah, I said I considered it today, but it was just a little windy, and I didn't get up there to clean the hangar out from yesterday's six inches of freaking snow. Oh wet snow very wet and very heavy yeah this is unbelievably wet and heavy which makes sense for this time of year but i i am beyond ready so time to sacrifice the snowman and and end this looking forward to some open water well let's go ahead and jump right on into the news quite a full news week this week and a follow-up from last week we have a sunken pirate ship pulled from the water and it may set sail again it spent two weeks underwater this was the big bear pirate ship that was floating again on thursday popular tourist attraction owner said it was a hopeful sign that it would set sail again this summer the ship which has been dubbed the time bandit sank on february 28th during a severe storm that brought rain snow and intense winds to holloway's marina where the ship was docked the sunken boat was discovered by a marina employee the monday after this the morning after the storm She's been underwater too long. It's time to resurrect our beloved time bandit, the ship owner said. Uh, Certified diver Hafen attached deflated airbags to the bottom of the ship and then inflated them with an air compressor. These airlift bags uh, uh, were designed to lift heavy objects, including yachts and airplanes. 
so we were optimistic it would do the trick. Once the ship was up, up a hole was found, and crews had to continue to work pumping water from the boat. It's a one-third scale replica of a Spanish galleon built in the backyard of father and son in the late 60s through the 70s, according to uh, the BigBearBoating.com website. It was also used in the 1981 feature film Time Bandits. That's pretty cool. That would have been a heck of a chore building a one-third replica in your yard. Yeah. Mm. Because obviously they wouldn't have put the mast on it until they put it in the water because it wouldn't have cleared the light and the power lines. But I bet you, Nickel, they sure have a heck of an education on how to build a boat, especially one of that vintage. Yeah, you would learn a lot of things. Even if you weren't doing it the same way, you were doing it A-way. Yes. And I think like anything else, it was probably dependent on the boatyard and the craftsmen as to the techniques that were used. Well, I'm sure they use modern tools, but looking at the the boat itself and the outline, you know, the knees and things like that, I am willing to bet were like the original. So very attractive boat. Good to see that it will be sailing again. And that picture at the bottom shows it has cannon on board. Well, every every good sailing ship should have cannon. Yeah, Friends Goodwill has at least one. Next up, we have a woman... And it's, it's really not diving related, but I, I had to cover it anyway. A woman accidentally joins a search party looking for herself. The woman was on vacation. Iceland managed to unwittingly join a search party of which she was the person they were hunting. The tourist group was traveling by bus to a volcanic canyon. When they made a pit stop near the canyon park, the woman in question went inside to freshen up. She changed her clothes to rest stop. When she came back, her bus mates didn't recognize her. Word spread along the, among the group of a missing passenger, and the woman didn't recognize the description of herself. Next thing you know, there's a 50-person search party canvassing the area. About 3 a.m., some genius in the group finally figured out that the missing woman was actually in the search party, just with a little bit different clothing. I'd like to have heard what the description was that she didn't recognize. <laughs> well, well, that's what I'm wondering. Yeah, and, and what did she do? I mean, how extreme did she go was it just yeah. putting her hair up uh you know sunglasses what you know well at 3 a.m i don't know about the sunglasses but maybe she uh, had a wig on and something like that i guess i mean you could if you intended to you could but didn't I somebody mean, like count i mean did they not realize that they had the exact same number that they did before and, and this kind of in a certain aspect does parallel with diving well you know I, i'm just looking outside the box i mean Perhaps that individual was a cross-dresser and went from one identity to the other one, which would really confuse you. Yeah, if, if they were cross-dressing, that, that would do it. That would be confusing, yes. So in the beginning, it was looking for a woman, and then she dressed as a guy. Or vice versa, yeah, yeah. Some, something like that. I mean, well, just outside of the box, just yeah. possibilities. I guess so. Yeah, and I'm just I'm now I got all those images going through my head of <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's like were you sitting by that person of whichever sex and was hitting on them and then realized later that and then that's like you're not gonna be the one to admit it, so therefore I you know. Yeah. But I mean the same thing can happen underwater. I mean there's been times where I've been in a group and we just got out of order. And everybody kind of went looking until we realized that we were all there. I think it's a little easier when people are all wearing black and it's dark and it's night, you know. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know then you count how many flashlights? Okay, we're good. But I got two flashlights. 
That's what I mean. You could still be missing one. (laughs) (laughs) Or if you, you know, take somebody's flashlight. In uh, the Portland, reported in the Portland Press, the uh, they're looking for funds to help combat the Eurasian milfoil. The milfoil, which is a quick-growing, quick-spreading weed that runs rampant over native plants and has no natural predators, they say if it's left unchecked, it will fill shorelines with mats of thick green fronds that render the lake unsuitable for swimming or boating. The Belgrade Regional Conservation Alliance and the Belgrade Lakes Association are leading a charge. They say it's a war they can win, but in order to do so, they need money, not just from private donors and government grants, from but local property taxpayers who say they have everything to lose. We've been careful not to ask for too much money, but one of the ideas going forward is that we make sure we're asking for enough money to do the job. It's not cheap to eradicate the milfoil. The group spent hundreds of thousands of dollars per year the last couple of years, and this year will be no different. They say the end of the six-figure expenditures in sight, but the town support is needed to get to the finish line. Much of the money to date will have been wasted otherwise. In 2013, the town spent $3,100 on boat inspections and $6,800 for Youth Conservation Corps program. Uh, they also are spending $20,000 from a water quality improvement funds for the milfoil project. Yeah, in the March Town Newsletter, they said because the amount being spent is so high, the board decided to place the request on a secret ballot and let residents decide if they wanted to fund them or not. The board also feels that other surrounding towns should be allocating funds towards some of the requests so they are not all being funded by Belgrade taxes. The ballot included a $20,000 request for BLA's Stop Milfoil Program in the Great and Long Ponds, as well as BRCA request for 10000 support milfoil removal in Belgrade Stream. And mes- Let's see what this one is. Mesoloneski Lake. Mesoloneski Lake. Part of the effort to keep the milfoil uh, out of Long Pond. That request will be matched by U.S. Fish and Wildlife <coughs> Grant. They're seeking 5000 removed milfoil from the lake along Route 27 and the Belgrade Stream where it connects. Voters are being asked to approve 35000 expenditures that weren't asked to consider last year in addition to voting for the inspections and the youth projects. Now, do we have something similar around here, Mac, where we're spending this kind of money? Uh, I was going to comment that I'd be very curious to know how big their lake is. Uh, we have an identical project going on right now. It's <clears throat> excuse me, uh, the Pawpaw Lake Restoration Project, and uh, they've got a combo. They've got a weed control program that's been set up for five years, and starting and well started in 2012 in may and april when they started using the sonar treatments in pawpaw and that's our that's a herbicide floridon mm-hmm. so it's not like sonar the the signal stuff and they'll be doing that through 2016 and then they'll start spot treating the second part they started last year was a four-year ply a pilot for aeration like they did in um indian lake in the northeast section where they're trying to get the, the bottom stirred up a little bit because you got so much silt so we can start getting better, um, not just weed control, but aerating it and get rid of some of the phosphorus and some of the other issues with it. Now, the cost of that so far has been projected and have actually estimated cost was 855000 So if the other company or place has only spent like thirty-five, uh-huh. uh that's not bad, but that's why I was curious how big it was. Now, this is like for five years. It died that by five, so you're still about a hundred and hundred twenty, hundred thirty thousand a year. Yeah, it sounds like that they they've been doing. This is their third year of over hundred thousand. 
Yeah, because they really want to get the uh, the oxygen levels up and reduce the severity of the algae blooms. Now, I, I think the $80,000 could be spent on motivating scuba divers to hunt for bottles because that would aerate the bottom, wouldn't it? That way they'd still have about $780,000 left, which would not be too bad. <laughs> but again, they've got silt layers uh, probably 10, 15 foot in certain areas out there, and that's where they're going to put the uh, aerators because, I mean, we'd be out there a couple hours a day, every day, uh, but they can get 24-7 with the aerators. So, that, so that's what they're going to do is they're going to put aerators? They, they did last year, yeah. Okay. And, of course, then they have feedback because the people near the aerators, meaning the pumps, uh-huh. say, oh, my God, it's loud. But during the winter, it's not a major issue. In the summer, they're not that loud. I don't – I know I've been out there, and I don't think they're that loud. I, but I don't live next to them. I think the only time it would be loud is if you're, you know, it's a really still day, no wind, in the middle of the night, and you got your windows open because you didn't want to pay for the air conditioning, then it may be a little, a tad noisy. Well, you got that rhythmic pumping noise, and it sort of soothes you to sleep, I would think. Yeah. <laughs> or not. I, I'll be curious to see what it is. Uh, as soon as it starts getting a little nice, I'll hope to get back out there and check out the quality because I know last year, uh, we had like a tannic acid brown, and that worst visibility I've had in years, uh, maybe five, six feet, and by that it was just dark water, not necessarily particulate. And I think that's from all the dead items out there, the organic sediment, mm-hmm. and I'm really hoping that part will settle down, and I will get out there next month. Because freaking it'll be April, and the official dive season starts April 1st. And when you think of that, you're talking, hey, guys, in two weeks, it's spring? Yes. The start of dive season? That's freaking amazing. Yes, it is. It's, so uh, it, it we'll doesn't, find out. It doesn't feel like it's that close. It feels like it should have been that close a long time ago. Yeah, when I'm having to take somebody out with me to set my, you know, zip my dry suit, that ain't, that's not April 1st in my normal life. Well, here's here's something for down in Grand Cayman and Little Cayman. They're calling for a lion cull to reduce the lionfish. They're they're asking for government funded team of cullers to be required to treat and the threat posed by the invader. Uh, this is according to conservationist Guy Harvey, who believes a public sector team similar to mosquito research and control unit should be set up to systematically remove lionfish from reefs around the island. He said the level of threat to the dive industry in particular is far greater than people imagine. He said some of the costs could be recouped by selling the fish for food, but governments would require them to come up with some cash, potential stumbling block for the era of severe budget constraints. There's so many good causes out there, and there's only so much money, and I personally don't want any more taxes. But that pictorial, did you take a look at the picture? Yeah, the, I'm trying to figure out what that's supposed to represent. Well, that's what they took. That's how much this little guy eats. He just screws up the ecosystem by, look how much fish is in that guy's gut. Oh, that's from his stomach. Yeah. Oh. That, they decimate the other, that, they just basically take over the area and all the other native species go to hell in a handbasket. So that's basically a at, vacuum cleaner. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I didn't even count them, but you're talking a rough would be three dozen, maybe four dozen right off the bat. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah easy. I'd say 50 right there. Well, I mean, if he can get it, uh, now down there, it's in Grand Cayman. Uh, 
you know, they maybe they have funds, especially if it's going to if it's about protecting revenue coming in. There should be well, something. What's funny though is this is sort of like when the uh, Quaggas came in, because the Quagga will give you out one million eggs a year, one single Quagga. The fatality rate though is ninety nine percent. That still gives you one Quagga ten thousand next year. Now at that the population they talked about here right now is four hundred lionfish per ten thousand meters. All right, I mean not yeah. nearly like the Quaggas, but. By the same token, two million per lionfish, and it doesn't give me what their uh, their attrition rate is or mortality rate. But that's a lot of fish. It is, and a lot of potential for increasing their numbers. So I'm not sure how a, a SWAT team there of lionfish colors could do, but they're going to need to do something. This is this is a lot more serious than a lot of people are giving it credit for. Well, maybe you could make underwater drones. That would attack lionfish, like a little submarine that would go and hunt them down. Well, in the shallows, seems like you could use certain kind of nets for the size of the lionfish, because you know how they sort of look like angelfish out there. They might get snagged, because the little ones like that are going to go right through the sieves of the net. I, I don't know. Well, let's see. What we got going on in Hawaii? They're saying that... The deep coral reefs may contain the highest percentage of fish species sound found nowhere else on Earth. This is according to a NOAA scientist published in the Bulletin of Marine Science. said part of the largest protected area in the United States, the islands and atolls, and submerged habitat for the, the uh, and they, what do they call this, the NWHI, Northwestern Hawaiian Islands, harbor unprecedented levels of biological diversity. I'm trying to get with the, there's got to be some meat in this. I'm not seeing anything. It just, to me, looks like a press release. Otto, did you get anything out of it? I'm not sure where they're going to go with it. Yeah. To me, it sounds like a setup for they want to do something, but they want to get you primed for it. Yeah. No no conspiracy there. (laughs) Uh, And then Chile. How about this? Found a new cave. Chilean and French scientists discovered a network of underground caves in a remote island on Patagonia. That could provide valuable clues as to how the continent was formed. They found around 20 limestone caves this week during a research trip to Diego de El Margro Island off the far southwest coast of Chile. Scientists had to abseil and scuba dive to get into the caves. What's abseil? Is that a cave return? Yeah. Some of which are around 50 meters deep. They found wall paintings and bone fragments left by indigenous people that could help date the caves. You can make models of the area where the continent broke off, and this could be one of those spots. The expedition is the latest in a series of French Center Terror Association who have found the types of rock and caves normally in more temperate zones that could give clues as how the continents sl- uh, split apart. Interesting. Let's see. And then I, I, I'm i not quite sure what the relevance of this next story was. Is it they trying to get people excited about ghost ships? They had an article on the 2501 Northwest flight, uh, which is what uh, Clive Kussler and NUMA and MSRA have been searching for for about the last six, seven years. Well, I think the uh, they were talking at the museum today that the people are drawing similarities between the 2501 and the flight that's missing from Malaysia. I was curious what similarities other than... Did they have people with passports that weren't the right people? And <laughs> well, you know, they just both disappeared. Yeah, 
I, I like the new one. There's actually two hypotheticals out there again. One is UFOs. Now, I'm talking about the one that just got lost. Yes. And then the second one that I heard from Australia today from an individual there is that if you take a look at the manifest, you will find there are six heavy-duty Chinese scientists that have a specialty that were on that plane. And now they're saying either somebody wanted them kidnapped or taken out. Now, I haven't heard any confirmation, but hey, that sounds cool. I know I have I have heard those rumors myself of uh, oh you did all right yeah I, I they were of course I listened to a bunch of conspiracy shows just to make me feel normal yeah and, uh, and just because you're paranoid doesn't mean somebody out there ain't out to get you exactly That's right but they were some talk that uh, the point that some what somebody had pointed out is that we've got systems where we can detect every plane in the world that's flying. And that's just from the U.S. So that's irrespective of everything else. So if we're doing that constantly outside of the air traffic control system, how come we don't know where this plane disappeared? Because I'm not going to tell you where it is because if I have that good of capabilities, if I told you I found it, that would give you a clue of how good my stuff is. Because you notice now that China came out with some satellite photos of debris, which are identified to be 50 and 60 feet pieces mm-hmm. so if if they in fact found it with their satellites uh right wouldn't surprise me if we had it with our satellites and then you hear that last one where it says the missing planes engines were sending information back out for hours after they lost contact of course that's debatable yeah I, that was the one i i just heard towards the end of the day that after it disappeared there was still getting signals now when they say the engines were they talking about that there's some sort of sensor on the engine yeah you can you can get yeah. diagnostics that send out up to a satellite and then kicks it down so they can do like maintenance trending tracking hmm. okay well this is going to be a uh, one that will go for a while well i know where they i mean if it went and they're saying anywhere now from an hour to four hours you know at 400 miles an hour that's one hell of a circle and I don't know what the ship density is over there in those areas, but uh, that's like saying, well, it's out there in Lake Michigan. Yeah. And that and that's not that far. No. Well, like I said, it'll be it'll be something that we'll be following for quite a while, I'm sure. Yeah. And then memories of sunken eagler. Eagler. Oh my goodness! I got need a nap. Eagle tire stays afloat. And that's the wrong link. Oh, I got the wrong link again, darn it. I think I sent you guys all the wrong link. Uh, I have one that looks like a picture of a boat myself. Did it? Eagle lies on her starboard side in 110 foot of water, three miles northeast of Alligator Reef Flight. Yeah. Florida Keys National Marine Sanctuary. Yep, that's the one. I must have pasted over my notes. So what it kind of reminded me of is they go into the details about how they had this wreck, got it funded, by a tire company and then named it after that and sank it. Well, I think it sounds like a good idea to get somebody to pay for it. Yeah. And we could have the AEP wreck. Maybe they maybe they might not like the idea of it being called a wreck. Maybe it needs to be a reef. Wreck might have a negative. Un- AEP underwater project. Yeah. Well, what they could do out there and to sell it for AEP perhaps is put it out past the tunnels in such a fashion the predominant wave action uh, could be a breakwater to help protect their intake tunnels. That's right. There you go. 
I'm sure somebody would panic that a storm could crush it and then wash debris into the tunnels. Well, you build a berm, it's not, I mean, there's nothing to crush or anything. So if you're talking, you put a boat full full of concrete and sink that sucker. That ain't going nowhere. And which is what they did off of uh, Palisades with the Ann Arbor Five, remember? Yep. They originally sank her for a breakwater. For a breakwater, right. I was just reading that article today. Let's see, what else do we have while we're on this? Uh, let's see, we got the caves, we got the tire. I think that does it for the news. Uh, how about some of these photos? I'll have to get down that way. I still think it was interesting on that eagle. She was at 115 feet, which is right there at the limit there for the sport diver, which was probably smart. Well, I think everybody was doing that just for, cause I think the deeper you get it, the, the more protected it's going to be. But by the same token, if you're trying to get sea life and coverage, sometimes you want a little more sunlight so you can get to maybe algae and things like yeah. that growing yeah. that you might not have deeper down. So this first one, that was an amazing shot of a jellyfish. You always wonder how much they were photoshopped. Well, they, yeah. Because I mean, I, I went to some a couple of photo contests last year, or not contests, but uh, the photo club, matter of fact, in Berrien Springs. And uh, I'm looking, because they judge, you, you submit in different categories, and I'm looking at some of those, and they says, everything you see up there is not what you think you see. If you don't have some good quality programs for editing, meaning background shading, because uh, I wondered how some of these guys such fabulous colors and stuff, and uh, I learned real quick that Editing programs are really, 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 really good. Oh, yeah. Uh, you, Mac, you'd be surprised what I can do to a photo in about 30 seconds. Well, I, no, I wouldn't. You take a look like they say. Every photo you see on the women's magazines, those oh. things have been touched, airbrushed, and, and they took, I think, we. I, I'm not sure where I saw it. They had this lady. They had her come up, partially undress, do the pictures, and then they showed you the, what she looked like before, after, and then they went and showed you how they edited the length of her law, her legs. Her, she, they manipulated every single part of that woman. Yeah, I mean, yeah. and it, it had a resemblance to the other to the final product, but it was by no stretch of the imagination that person. Yeah, yeah, and that's what some of the models have come out and said that they they've actually complained a little bit because it's it creates an unrealistic image perception, you know, something that's not obtainable. Well, yeah, because when you go to the second shot. Now, which one of those is me up there on that screen? There's, you know, I could be there, and you wouldn't be able to tell. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I mean, there's you. I can see you sort of. And there's Jim, and there's me. Now, which one of those is us? Other people would be hard-pressed to show us. Obviously, you know the one I'm talking about, right? Second right. slide. Oh, sec- second slide? Se- second slide. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was, yeah. That, that yeah. was the, they, they had no idea that we were up there. Right. That was I really mean, great Jim, Photoshop. Yeah, Jim can finally find himself. I can find me, and uh, I think I can find you. So, I mean, it's not without merit. If you're going to put something on a dating site, I reckon that would be the one to do it. Yeah. Well, then uh, this underwater uh, photographer, Dr. Axel Mux, Muxkard, Mustard. Professor Mustard in the library with that's, a candlestick. That's all I could think of. And he has some amazing shots. Yeah. Still want to go. He's got, he's got one in here where it's the Iceland image. Still want to go there. And then to cap it all off, we have some underwater monsters. 
which I, I, we've seen creepier. We have seen some really creepy or creepy things out there. Yeah, this one's got uh, you got worms, but that fourth one down is kind of interesting. It just makes me remember that no matter what these uh, alien movies are, you got stuff looks just like that and creepier on this planet. Yeah, you don't even have to invent it. Yeah, like no. uh, what, what's this one? Let's. They got a couple in there that they could be the lead monster. Well, you just and you know you you jack up the pictures of uh, bed bugs and bed mites. Oh yeah, <laughs> and those those freaking things and you know and the skin stuff. And it's like they're living on your body. Oh my god! Well, those are the photos. Uh, here's a video, and I thought this was a. Uh, it, it's actually the a case of the internet getting people excited about it again. He did this interview. I think it's about. It said 2004, and what it is is it's uh, a National Geographic photographer, and he was taking photos of leopard seals and video, and he was afraid. He wasn't really afraid, but he was he was a little intimidated by the size of the leopard seal. He said that it opened its mouth and its mouth was wide enough to eat him, his head, and his camera. And he thought that he was going to be attacked by it. But once it got done showing some aggressive signs, it went and grabbed the seal and tried to feed it to him. <laughs> or not seal, a penguin. The penguins swam off. The He said it looked like the seal was getting a little irritated. And he gradually worked his way from trying to give him live to he'd then give him maimed to the point where he gave him dead. And, of course, he wasn't going and eating him. And at one, and the seal seemed to be getting a little depressed. He actually he was trying to eat one and show him how to eat it. Interesting interview worth worth listening to that. Well, did you see the one? Uh, that's what I was looking for is uh, where the, they were doing some night diving by eels or by rays. And then the porpoise came up by the one guy mm-hmm. and basically came at one. The guy told him to come. The porpoise came right to him, and he had a hook yep. in his pectoral. Did you see that one? Yeah, that, that's another one that's, that started. We covered that one last January. Yeah. Uh, but that, that one. Was, well, they had really good shots of it today, or the one I looked at yesterday, uh-huh. and how we got the, the, the fishing line from one side of the gill, not gill, uh, fin, through the guy's mouth and back. Uh-huh. And it was it was quite interesting, and especially how after he got it all done, the guy came back, looked like he was trying to kiss him oh. and hug him. <laughs> it was it was it was quite good. It was quite good. Yeah, I almost I almost covered that one in the show today, and I and I remember covering it. Uh, and then this last one we have: if you can't get in the water like we've been kind of frozen out, are some six live underwater webcam feeds. I've always wished I had unlimited funds because I would have some nice large TVs just down my, my hallway or my office with these live feeds all the time. Where do you have the feeds at? I'm looking for that there, buddy. Uh, let me, maybe I clipped it off on what I gave you. Yeah, I had this cool new gear, but I don't see any other. And that does sound neat. Yeah, so the first one is from the National Aquarium. Uh, the second one they had was from the Smithsonian National Zoo. Then they had uh, SeaWorld's Animal Vision Cam. They had AfriCam and the Animal Planet Live. So the AquaCams, let's see, there's the, uh, one of them's the Black-Tipped Reef. And then they had the Pacific Coral Reef, which is from their aquarium. And I'm not going to watch it right now because it will probably kill the feed. And then we've got this gear. 
And what I liked about this article is just how they put all that gear together. And some of these photos we've seen over and over and over, but sometimes what you miss is the timeline between the different pieces. Yeah, it's a nice sequence. Very nice sequence. But they got the, gosh, I'm trying to remember what they call this one, deep sea atmospheric diving suit designed by Alphonse and Theodore Camgonoli. It's a French name. Patented in 1882. They said, sadly, it never worked properly. They consider it to be the first anthropomorphic design. Now, you look at that, though, and if you made that out of fiberglass, made colors, it looked like a freaking space suit. Yeah. I mean, you'd see that with all the multifacets. That could be an alien there, man. That's cool. Yeah. Claw hands, man. Yeah, I like it. I mean, they got the. It was one of those things where they 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 technically built it. It just wasn't practically built. All I know is, would you want to be in that baby testing it out in nine foot of water? I'm hoping that they put it in without somebody in and then pulled it up and said, hey, why is water coming out? <laughs> mm. I would not want to be in the inside go, go, discovering that. But when you look at it, it seems to be a viable design. Uh, the The elbow, I think, is probably could be a weak point there. Yeah, well, that's to give them articulation. But it'd be interesting what kind of seals they had, or was it just close tolerances? I don't know. Yeah. Now, they said it never worked. And then they have another one, which was by M.D. Polve, a French hydraulic engineer from 1906. And that one was covered in Scientific American. Then they had the 1911 Chester McDuffie. And I've seen this photo several times. Uh, and that one was fabricated out of aluminum. Yeah, definitely Captain Hook. Yeah. They, they said the suit was tested and reached 65-meter water depth in 1915. Yeah, it does have that Captain Hook look to it, doesn't it? Yeah. And I noticed that the hands on the picture on the left, the first one, is a hook. But on the one in the right, they've got something else on there. So Looks not, like a lantern. Ah, a light, maybe. Yeah. yeah. And then they have a Levette suit designed by Captain Benjamin Levette, patented in 1920. It was made from manganese bronze and could carry a four-hour supply of oxygen and a telephone. What was it a smartphone? So E.T. could phone home. Yeah. And then... Uh, and they go down and you see some, uh, what, Nudfeldt and Kunt Company of Kiel, Germany. And that one, they actually start, you're starting to look, let's see, what year was that, did they say? That one's starting to look more like some of the modern mini-subs. That's 1923. Yeah. I mean, there's a rapid innovation there. I mean, you're, you're really, you're talking a short, you know, less than a, a generation, you know, less than 30 years. Well, you look at the second generation of that other suit, now you're into what looks like fiberglass Mm-hmm. shells I, i'm quite sure that's not fiberglass but yeah well because you, you got to think at some point in time they had to say what are we trying to do with it because they already you already had when was the traditional like mark five canvas we had that in world war in world war two or world war one actually yeah so you'd have had those before some of these oh absolutely yeah, yeah so th- so this is just a way of them trying to get deep one atmospheric suits yeah and then they have a, you have another, they did another generation, like you said, 1923, where that one does, you do have that kind of fiberglass look to it. And then 1924, they've got uh, kind of a reversioning of that original one, uh, which they said it was probably designed by Chester McDuffie. Uh, and, it, and it looks almost identical to the one he had up above, above, but this time it was made from iron. But yeah, you look at that German one, and you look at this one that the British did, the Joseph Salem Paris. And that one looks more like a monster movie prop. 1930 of Iron Mike, which 
starting to get into a capsule. 31. Yeah, it just, if you haven't seen this, this is from Gizmodo. The, the, the excellent article they had on this, continuing on oh, down. I like the Iron Duke, because it was actually used, like they said here, salvage sunken treasure from 450 feet, recovered five, or what, 10 tons of silver, five tons of gold. Yeah, but did you... you That's a lot of recovery. Yeah. Well, the did one... Do it by hand. Hell of a, hell, hell of a depth, too. Well, the one thing about these is that, did you notice how many of these were tested on the Lusitania? Uh, no, I did not. So it was making me wonder if there was some particular specific reason as to why there was such a push for this. What, on the Lusitania or for the yeah. push on the dive suits? Well, both. I mean, if you had an if you had an object or a depth that multiple governments or incentives were trying to get to, you know, all of a sudden you've got funds. So, you know, your wacky backyard project all of a sudden starts getting supported by people with deep pockets. Well, warfare has a tendency to do that. Yeah. Because then you had recovery after World War One. You had issues up until World War Two through World War Two. Big salvage during the whenever we had so much uh, sunk in the Suez Canal, and they had to go clean out the canal to make it passable for ships again. So, I, military is a big part. And then when you start thinking five tons of gold, especially now, that's worth some investment. Certainly. And then they go all the way into the modern suits. And I would say modern suits. Some of these are from '87. That's that's modern, isn't it? Not for the standards of today. No. Well, I'm, I'm thinking like 87 and you go 47. To me, that seemed such a long span, but that time to today seems like a blink of an eye. Yeah. Because well, they don't even have the ones like the Wasp, which is basically the whole bottom half is an encapsulation, no articulated legs. Right. And it's like the one you're looking at, the guy in the orange. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like that. And that was called the wasp because it was better because it had less joints, less articulation. You had the thrusters behind them just like you did on this suit. Uh, easier to maintain. It was a different depth rating. Yeah, didn't Jacques Cousteau also have a few of those? They were kind of like mini subs that looked almost like uh, jellyfish or shrimp. I'm, I'm not sure. I just know he used to have his own mini sub. Yeah, he had. Uh, let me see if I can find a photo of that. I'm trying to think of the name of it, and I can't. The shrimp comes to mind. The sea fleas. Sea flea? Yep, the sea flea. S-E-A fleas. And here it is. They were two explorable submersibles called the SP-500s, roughly three meters by two tons. Took uh, Looked like toys. and uh, They were little sisters to the SP-350 diving saucer. The one-person sea fleas were extremely maneuverable and capable of reaching depths to 500, feet, 500 meters. Launched in 1967, they owe their concept to the technicians of the Cousteau team and construction of the Aeronautical Factory Sub-Aviation. Hmm. Uh, they said they were piloted by a joystick with buttons on each finger of the grip. Once in the water, the pilots, two subs, can see each other through four plexiglass portholes, seven and a half centimeters thick. So what they're designed to do is work in tandem. So they were really like a, a submersible, gosh, did you see the photo of it? No, I didn't. I, I did find the one that's a uh, Cousteau shark-shaped submarine. Yeah. If you look in Skype, I sent you the... Yeah, I can't find that whole little list of items on Talks You Right This Second. 
Bingo, I just found it. Just came back. Okay. And I've seen a better photo of it before than this. But I think once you see it, you go, oh, yeah. Ooh, the Coastal Sharks-shaped submarine. Yeah. You see that? I hadn't seen that one before. I remember the flea, though, sand fleas or sea fleas. Couldn't remember the name, though. So this is... uh, this one's a little bit more modern, though. This one's uh, Cousteau's grandson. Yeah. Fabian. Cookie, cookie, let me your comb. You're going to be talking about that for a few seconds? Sure. I'll be right back. Yeah, looking at that, that shark submarine, I, I wish I would have gotten a little bit more coverage. So what this was is this is this article's National Geographic from 2010, and it shows Fabian Cousteau, and he, it's almost like a costume more than a a sub where you fit in something that looks like a, a shark. Uh, it's a wet sub. He climbed in. Kind of reminds me of maybe it'd be something that would inspire uh, men in black. Hmm. In fact, one of them has, uh, looks like an, a fake artificial pilot flit fish on top of it. Oh, a replica of Remora, which was, uh, which was hiding a forward facing camera. Well, I think that's going to do it for scuba the news. Now, Jim, I understand that uh, you had a road trip this last weekend. This last weekend. Where did I go this last weekend? Yes. To the Underwater Preserve Committee, Michigan Underwater Preserve Committee meeting. Yeah. That was that was uh, a nice meeting. I got to go with you. We had Richard and Mary Beth all went up and we got to sit in. And yeah. Uh, they hold those meetings about four times a year and discuss business of the 13 underwater preserves in the state of Michigan and the Underwater Preserve Committee kind of coordinates the activities of the 13 preserves, and they're the ones that do the promotion of all preserves and represent kind of the, the I won't say the industry group, but they're the, the parent, if you would. Well, and it, it, there's certain things that, that it makes sense for that group to do instead of having every single preserve on its own try. and Yeah, yeah they, they go to a lot of the shows like Ghost Ships and our world underwater, things like that. And they'll, you know, show all the preserves in Michigan, pass out brochures for, you know, any and all the preserves. Uh, so if we've got a particular brochure for Southwest, if someone wants it, they'll uh, be able to get it. That way you don't have 13 preserves competing against each other at one yeah. site. Yeah. Gosh, I, I don't know. Is it, could you get, you couldn't get 13 preserves to show up. <laughs> Probably not. So, uh, yeah, I have to say I, ha- I had fun. It was it was good to see what was what was going on and and hear the progress and the plans that they had that were coming up. So, and you need to thank your volunteers because there's a lot of people putting a lot of work in on that. Yes. Uh, do we have any dives coming up? Any? I mean, I, I should ask if anybody got a dive in, but I think I'm pretty sure I know nobody did. I have not yet. I was looking at the water today. We've been watching the lake and the rivers, and I tried to get Mac to hit the river with me earlier in the week, but it just didn't work out. I'm still making sure I am over my bronchitis. Doc said take an extra week or two after I quit coughing so I wouldn't have any little issues, which sounds like a good idea. Yeah, yeah. we don't that's, want you to uh, spend it any more time out of the water than you have to. True. That's why I am looking forward to the first week in April. Uh, in fact, if anybody's available, I may even dive on April Fool's Day, which would be typical for me. It, a little foolish, but hey, what the hell? It's in the middle of the week, so some people who may be retired might be out there. <clears throat> oh, retired people. 
we're tired, man. Tired of damn working. <laughs> yeah. <I'm dying. laughs> okay. Well, it's I, not I, that we couldn't use the discretionary income, and in some cases, if taxes keep going up, it won't be discretionary. It'll be needed. So I can always be a greeter, I suppose, at Walmart. Yeah, when you especially think, if they're going to give me a minimum wage of ten dollars and ten cents or whatever the hell it is. Yeah, you, you're saying discretionary income. I'm working, and I would. I'm looking for discretionary income. Well, that's what I'm saying. If taxes go up, that's rapidly coming down to. Oh my God. Yeah, that certainly is. Yeah, and I think I'll have to do the the promise that oh tomorrow's Friday maybe I'll stop over at Max and get the drive suit. <laughs> yeah, I could just drop it off at the dive shop and you could pick that up when you eat there Saturday or Sunday. Oh, I, I don't, don't forget we have Wolf's this weekend, and I'll be there high noon probably on uh, Saturday. And I'm not spending the day there like I normally do. I have other items for the evening, but. That'll be a good day. They've got, oh, I was in there again playing around the other day. He has got some really nice wetsuits, brand new. I've never seen before in different vendor. You want to take a look at them. Uh, he's got, the only two he's got on hand, the other ones are coming in, are extra large. But oh. they're very, very sharp. And he's got two new versions. Bottom for you, Darren. Extra large, specifically at, for you. Do, do they have holes in the legs? It, well, actually. Just for your legs, just for your feet to go they're, through. They're a little bit big. I think even for Darren, meaning in length, uh, in the dry suit, oh, my God, the commercial one, I would love to have. Um, And the non-commercial one is a very, very attractive price. Mm. Uh, And nothing else when you go down there and look at the new suits, guys. Very nice. I'll have to take a look. And uh, and side stuff is they've got um, some different type of gloves and – the dry gloves on these are really nice, and I actually tried some of those on, and that's probably the best dry glove I've had on, meaning I could wear a thin insulate under it and still have good dexterity. Huh. It, it's very nice. So take, make sure you take a look at the new suits down there. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to. Do that. Yeah, I've got a conference called mid-afternoon. I'm hoping that as soon as that's done, I can skate out. So I've put in like three weeks' worth of work just this week, so I, I think I can do it. Mm-hmm. I can. I can. I'll, I'll tell myself. Think positive. Uh, and then Dave, thanks for reminding us. A chat room. He said Scuba Fest in Columbus, Ohio, is coming up this weekend. Correct. And so is Go Ships, yeah, Milwaukee. Yeah. Milwaukee. And Jim, you said you were going to that, didn't you? I was planning to, but those plans have changed. I think Bob is still planning on going. Correct. I had been planning, but I have other plans made for me. <laughs> <laughs> funny how that happens yeah i'm aware of those too so oh uh, since else you got no major stuff so i'll bring up the next item i have not edited the uh, club site but i'll be putting that up if you've been there you've noticed my last rant not rant did i say rant i don't think rants are correct right? I, I didn't hear your rant yeah but uh and it'll be on the uh, facebook edition of the club and uh, I've been talking about the the new pure jumping legislation yeah. resolutions yeah. I want to do. And uh, you, I sent you guys copies of the draft items. And today's meeting, uh, which was several hours longer than they had anticipated, um, uh, but I will be posting the minutes to that. And I sent the minutes to you guys already. If you look at the um, okay. Skype, you'll see the link to the Berrien County Commission's meeting and agendas. Okay. 
And if nothing else, this little exercise has proven to me that if you want people to do the right thing and you want to watch what the government is doing, you really need to keep your butt informed and not just let it coast. I've never really paid much attention to what the commissioners do in all the districts. Well, I'll tell you what, I will at the next election. Uh, You really need to be looking at what they're doing because when they do ordinances, those are freaking laws, people. People are making laws without your input, and you don't even have a clue. Uh, and I didn't realize how many ordinances and items like that that had been issued for St. Joe. That doesn't count the ones for each of your townships, like in uh, the township I'm in. BB guns are outlawed. BB guns. Anyway, that's another rant. Uh-huh. But the Board of Commissioners, they basically... Uh, they had all this planned for the day. Tuesday, uh, City of St. Joe said they're not going to be part of this yet until after they determine what they're going to be doing on the North Pier since they're, they're going to renovate the lighthouses. Yep. And so until they get that done, they do not want to commit to any rules, regulations, blah, 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 collectively. And since if you're going to make this, you really want both sides doing the same thing, you yeah. know, the commissions with the with the city. So basically, uh, they are going to, they made a resolution to go ahead and fund and install life rings at nine different locations on the South Pier, which I think is a very good idea. I got nothing wrong, nothing, nothing against putting life-saving equipment out. That, that'd be silly to do that, you know, to be against that. Right. Uh, how they're going to monitor it by camera, that can be expensive, and I put my two cents in on that. And as far as the regulations and stuff for you can't jump off the pier, you can't swim within 50 feet of the pier, uh, they're going to lock it up in, uh, what, November and unlock it in, in March 15th. It's like, I'll wait till they get that done. But what I sent you the other day is what you're going to have to watch out for. And I'm looking for it right now. They approved the one of putting the, the life rings out. Not a big right. deal. Uh, the one I'm concerned on, and I'm looking for my little item here so I can read it verbatim. It'll take me a second because I'm looking for it. If I wasn't looking for it, it'd be right here in my face. Okay, here it is. Okay, I'm going to read this by a quote here. Whereas the county administrator, that's Wolf, that's Wolf and you know who I'm talking about now? Yep. Okay. Uh, he's, the, he's the head dude in charge. HMIIF, uh, made his this presentation and request to the St. Joe City Commission on February 24th, blah, blah, blah. Upon following up with the city manager on the 28th, was informed St. Joe had decided to hold off on forming a committee until the city had completed the lighthouse renovation. Now, therefore, be it hereby resolved that Barron County Board of Commissioners will undertake peer safety improvements to include life rings after the city of St. Joseph and the county agree on a plan to implement and enforce peer safety measures. The bite is, no one said what the plan is, what the implementation is, and what the enforcement is. Well, do they, do they give you an opportunity to ask a question? Like, what is it that you're enforcing? Are you talking about enforcing the existing laws? Is there a set of laws that you haven't publicly announced yet? Well, they, one, they couldn't enforce laws they haven't announced or it's not on the, on the program. But I'm curious what the plan is because they modified it last year 
uh, that didn't uh, four years ago when it didn't go through. Then the copy when I went earlier in the year, they put a draft out, and the draft had been changed to still do everything else except they said, yeah, but you can still scuba dive if you're licensed. Note that if you're licensed, meaning control, uh, and or if you're an instruction with a uh, instructor training. Uh, of course, the police can do what they want when they want rescue teams, whenever any agency that played with divers, had divers, wasn't an issue. But they still wanted to do the 50-footer. All right, That stuff is obviously still out in there as a possibility. That's why I said when they say, what is the plan to implement and enforce peer safety? That includes, are they going to have locking gates? Are they going to put shields up? That's the part that's not specifically identified, and I'm really curious to see what they're going to do. Uh, I did write my letters, and I was uh, I had I had mine edited by my business manager, <coughs> and uh, <laughs> she helped me temper them a lot. So I didn't open mouth foot put foot in or, or alienate anybody like throwing napalm on it or anything. Right. But uh, I will be curious to see what that is, and I asked for I already sent my note back saying that when they had these established or drafts, I would like a copy. And I will. I did put on my emails to the council uh, our dive site, mm-hmm. and I put the podcast site because this is where we're broadcasting information out to divers who have a vested interest. Yep. And if I knew any other places that might have a vested interest who would at least write, because if you have, if you get people to start saying they don't want something, they're going to listen. And I'm definitely going to be looking at three different council people who I, I went back through other resolutions I am for or not for just to see what their thought patterns were. And there are some of those people who are about 180 degree out from me. And like I said, I never paid attention for some of the positions when I voted. Mm-hmm. Well, I tell you what, next time I will certainly be looking for the ones that I've worked with here or am working against. Yeah. And if that means canvassing for the ones who I think are going to do what I would like, I will support them a hell of a lot more than, well, I will support them and I will not the others. And I will do my best to make sure they're not getting the support. Well, well how about uh, we do a write-in campaign? Uh, I actually looked up the requirements <laughs> for getting on that. And as I'm getting older, I'm not sure I would be a good person for that. But I, I have looked that up. Well, we, we, we know it's that still something too. We know that mental stability isn't a requirement. Say what? <laughs> <laughs> I, I consider to say enthusiasm for certain topics is way up there. Oh, well, it's and good. it's like I, I don't have any access to grind exactly, but yeah, you got to pay attention uh, when this comes up. If I find out what the wording is, I will certainly be telling people. And again, it'll be on both sites. Uh, well, the club site, and it'll be on the uh, the Facebook site. Now, now j- let's just talk about government in general. You know, this is kind of eye-opening, just the information you'll be able to find. How could we find that out if you did not go to these meetings? Is there a way of right now that, that I Right. I actually went through, once I did this, and it's, it's becoming educated, what the hell is going on in your community? Uh, I actually went to a meeting for Stevensville, uh, the Benton Harbor, just for fun, because they're talking about they don't have enough money for the libraries. Um, and, of course, now the commissioner's meetings. Right. You can find that if you go to Berrien County, for example, and you can find 
all their listings for all their committees, for the county government, board of commissions, county administration, county clerk, the departments to drain. It's like I I hear the terms, but I never realize how they function. Excuse me, mm-hmm. and who is responsible for them? Where did they get their money? And it, it's like a lot of things certain groups are doing is because I get matching funds or I get I get a grant. Right. Well. I got to stop for a minute because ain't no such thing as free money. The grant came from the government. Where the hell did the government get their money? From me. Right. Well, Why I mean, are it, they giving money to people? I mean, we got pay up freaking government bills before well, we give it away. Well, in, 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 we'll, we'll, we'll call this the political podcast now, oh. is that this is all an outgrowth, <clears throat> outgrowth of post-Tenth Amendment, where the Tenth Amendment said that the authority resides in the states. So the federal government can't pass laws that overrule the local states, and the only exception is in interstate commerce. And you know some of the things that are specifically ceded by the states to the federal government, such as the ability to negotiate treaties and foreign relations and standing military for foreign wars and those sort of things. So what that did is it put all the power in the state. So the federal government being sneaky the way they were, said, well, local states are just extensions of the individual citizens, so they're motivated by the same thing as money. So the federal government, who has the ability to tax, can just overtax, which is what we're doing. Our founding fathers never thought that we would see a tax rate anywhere near the levels that we are tolerating today. So they overtax to then be able to give it back to us, and we somehow think it's free money. Yeah. And that's what they do. That's what Common Core whether you're for Common Core, against Common Core in education, that the federal government can't dictate the local states what education should be, but they can certainly withhold money. I mean, they're not obligated to give the states any of this money, so they tease it, wave it around, and then people apply for it. Well, where, where this came about, again, the money aspect is uh, there are some, and they said, and don't call us Tea Party people, we're not. It's like, why are they buying, let me rephrase that, why are you authorizing the cops to get this humongous, heavy-duty, anti-terrorist vehicle that you're going to have to spend money to demill it and maintain it when it can't even operate on most of our roads and bridges. Why are we doing that? And it's like, well, because we get it for free. But maintenance of it is not for free. No. So why are you doing it? Well, it's it's we can get it for free. And it's like that mentality is weird. If if you go and I'll send it to you if you're interested. But anyway, if you go to the the one I mentioned about Berrien County, and just go to the BerrienCounty.org, it tremendous amount of information that I slap myself side to face because I should have been aware of what's going on in my own community. But it's like they've got you go to the ordinance and regulations, pork, parking ordinances, uh, mass gathering ordinance, meaning if you wanted to have an gathering even though we are allowed to do that there's actually ordinances against it uh, to certain degrees uh fault alarm ordinance animal control well permit ordinance uh retirement plan i don't care about that hazardous materials expense it's it's interesting to go through and then start reading some of what these ordinances are Mm -hmm. and it's it's interesting it's like i didn't realize that like uh the leash for the dog on the beach is maximum six foot uh, duh. How many people have you seen with those telescopic leases? And if you're going to have a law, either enforce it or don't have it. Don't have selective enforcement. 
they were trying to change – you're aware of they want to do downtown is change the um, parking limitation or the, how long you can park, like no. two hours maximum. Then they want to rotate you around. Yeah, they want to force you to pay to park in the uh, county parking lot instead of downtown. Yeah. Well, where's the county and, parking lot? Well, they want, the park. they want to buy that, and they were, they were suggestions to put up a three-story parking tower so people could park down there, and they'd get a discount if they happen to work up off, off the hill. They'd get a discount parking, so they'd be parking there, and part of it would be sheltered. See, it'd be nicer for you. So it would leave the downtown for customers. And uh, what I thought was weird is they – and it, it was in paper. It said, well, it'll be two hours, especially during the summer, and blah, blah, blah. But when it's not summer, we'll just selectively enforce it. It's like, excuse me, what does no. selectively mean? No. I, you either do it or you don't do it. No, I'm not at all in favor of selective enforcement. And I agree with you on the leash laws. See, the problem is is the, is the motivation or the people who said, you know, and I don't know, did it come from the 50s or something where there ought to be a law for that? I can't remember. I, I, it's like I've heard that phrase. Well, none of these these things that I'm looking at now are 50s. There's 169. That's a parking, ar- parking ordinance. But then there's updated ones. But that's the oldest one. Uh, and I was curious when I saw the mass gathering. That that one was actually dated 1976 in its initial. Yeah. So it, it's interesting what well, they do have out here. The thing is you can draw probably when those laws were passed, you can draw a one- to five-year back arrow to an event, and that's what drove it. A lot. Yeah, because, I mean, in the, you, know, the, you know, mass gathering, you're talking about the – the riots where they raise the drawbridges. You're, you know, if you you get into the 80s and 90s, you're talking about the the KKK rallies, of which there was like, you know, four clan people and you know 700 anti-protesters. Yeah, and a thousand police to keep them separated. Oh yeah, yeah, because I was involved in the police side on those, and uh, yeah, so it's it's just crazy the. That we feel like we have to, it, it's basically people wanting to have their own way, so they pass a law so that somebody can enforce it, and then it all sits there because law enforcement doesn't have time. You know what are they doing? They're answering emergency calls, citizen complaints. You know, and they'll be checking the pier now because that's one of the responsibilities well, right. of the sheriff department yeah. will be well, to check the piers and make sure the life rings are still there. Again, what frequency are you going to do that? Well, look at how many warrants there are now. now. Oh, and, yeah. and if you can do a search and find out where these people are, so can they. You know, there's usually a reason why they're not being looked at. Yeah. So. It, it's interesting, but my point, I suppose, is you really need to start paying attention to your government and just not ignore yeah. it because I don't know what they do. Start looking, and it's going to surprise you what they do in every aspect of your life. Yeah. And start with local and work your way up. I mean, yeah, start we, with your home part. Go to your, you know, if you yeah. live in a, uh, like Stevensville, go to the Stevensville board and listen to what they're doing. Yeah. Uh, and generally I go when it's, it's hits me in the pocketbook mm-hmm. and it, it's interesting. And you were saying the states can do what the federal government doesn't, you know, doesn't say to do. I'm still looking at Connecticut right now in New York. Second amendment says yeah. you can have, and that goes, and, and their laws say you can't. So how, you know, I'm not going to say impeach a particular person, but somebody strongly needs to be doing something other than talking. Yeah. Yeah. They, you can't, they, I mean, there's, there's a reason why we had those amendments. 
Well, again, if, if, if you have Obamacare or the, whatever term they want to use for it, and it says these are the implementation dates and they can't be changed, and then they're arbitrarily changing them at their discretion, which is not legal, no one's st- – I, I just don't understand why they can get away with it. Well, they get away with it because you have to challenge it. Nobody's challenging it. You, you got you to gotta take them to court or do something if you want to change a law. You can't. Right, and you don't have deep pockets as the individual. No, no. I mean, uh, it's, it's, it the thing sucks. is, it doesn't, it doesn't take a lot to get this stuff changed if you get the momentum there because, you know, the, the popular opinion and people can change it. It's just that you get fatigue. People get it, tired out, and you end up only grasping onto two or three hot items which you're passionate about, and the rest of them you just kind of get numb to. And they and that's exactly what they're ca- counting on. Yeah. The number one item we're gonna it's gonna kick our ass is national freaking debt. We're over seventeen trillion. They say it's seventeen. It's more than seventeen trillion dollars. And how can you still be given a billion dollars to the Ukraine or whatever? God, keep the money home. <laughs> take care of our own issues first, people, yeah. and get that debt down because. If if China and Russia go together and reorganize, you know, like they're trying to do in Nicaragua, Venezuela, whatever, Venezuela, yep, brick, the brick is, countries, and get rid of that and not get on the dollar payment, then we are screwed, people. Yep. You're going to have inflation up the kazoo, and what you have ain't going to be worth diddly squat. And ain't too many people out there that's got vast amounts of silver and gold. Silver but, and gold. Yeah. For old farts like us, like they want us to go ahead and die, the angry white men, I think is what they call us. <laughs> and that means anybody over 55. So yeah, not it, yet. it's not the same. It ain't the same as it was. And, of course, that is what dates me. Yeah. Well, I'm keep, not progressive and liberal enough. Keep keep fighting the fight. We. Well, the only reason they listen to the angry white people or white men is that colloquialism is if you look at the amount of discretionary and i don't mean discretionary but how much income they spend since we're going to be what one-sixth of the population yeah over 65 even that's a lot of monetary clout well you can organize it you got it well you you look at uh, and i don't i don't even think it needs to be along race lines but you take a look at assets and spending that you have uh i've i'm going to People below 35 don't have a lot of net worth at that point in your life. Uh, you know, you've got the upper teens and lower to mid 20s. You're driving a lot of the economy, but it's because you're you you don't have to. You know, you're not spending in healthcare. You're spending on date nights out and videos and movies and you know cars and that sort of thing. And then you start getting in the next where you start the child years. So then you start to invest in property, but you don't have any wealth. It's not until you start getting into your your late 40s and 50s where you start seriously saving for retirement. You're building wealth. Uh, you start to be empty nesters or retirees, and that's when you really have that that net value in cash. Well, you know this new thing, or they're, they're saying what uh, the difference in how much you get versus how much the boss gets. All right, I don't care what they say. The guy gets ten million, and you get your fifteen thousand dollars a year. And that's wealth equity, or whatever they call it, is different. I can't even think of the term at this particular moment. But there ain't that many guys who are getting that compared to thousands of others. Yeah, his salary isn't going to make that much difference when you spread it out among all the other thousands of people. So it's really not an issue. 
what the issue is, or not the issue is, there is no such thing as government anymore. It's business. And if you don't believe that, you're crazy. Business runs the government. There's, what, 465 billionaires in the United States now? There's only 165 or something like that in China. Russia has like 200 and something billionaires. This billionaires. Yeah. I can't even comprehend a billionaire. Yeah. Now, those are the people who are welding the power, people. And if you don't think that's true, you're seriously slipping some gears. Because you can tell me if you had a billion dollars, you wouldn't be controlling things in your neighborhood to the way you wanted them. I, I don't know how you could not. Well, I've, yeah, I know firsthand what people who aren't quite billionaires but are high millionaires, and I've seen what they can get away with. So yeah, you're you're absolutely correct. And they sometimes get away with it without even intending to. You know, they 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 learn to push that power because they can have sway into it. I mean, I've I've seen these millionaires, you know, there, there's some of these festivals. So you go into a town and there's a festival and that festival is doing, you know, we'll call it the super sunny lit, lit up boat festival. And that festival is usually being paid for by a corporation. If that corporation is privately held, that means it's there's a, a person or family who has that wealth. Well, if he doesn't get his way on on issue B, he might not fund that festival, and I've seen that happen. So, well, sure, he who has the gold makes the rules. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, there's nothing, there's no law. It's his assets that require him to go and give you money to go have your fun party festival. I mean, it's right. kind of it's kind of like Rome and the Colosseum. I mean, they, the reason the Colosseum exists is because they needed to entertain the masses. Right. And yeah, and and, and they, uh, have that blood and gore takes your mind off their problems, like taxes and invasion yeah. and plagues and whatever. Yeah, so yeah, the same thing happens. It's uh, we just it's uh, you know we get philosophical, but it's just different ways of of slicing the same thing. Yeah, and I don't know of any government person, senator up, who's not a millionaire. So if you want to look at wealth discrepancies, take a look at your own government. Yeah, well, what they what they do in the government is it was never meant for you to be able to go in as an elected official and come out as a millionaire. Or if you don't come out as a millionaire within two years of leaving, you've been handed a job which guarantees you'll be a millionaire. Well, I just like their retirement programs. Yeah, yeah. I I still look at the soldier who gets out there and gets his ass killed, legs and amps, you know, he just loses parts and pieces, and you're still skimping on what you pay those guys, what you give them in veterans treatment. They get blown up because of you. Meaning we send them over there to do a job, and then they come home and out of sight, out of mind. It's been that way in every war. That's not right. Yeah, it's I would rather awesome. give more money to immigrant illegal aliens. Oh, don't even start me there. <laughs> I think that's our clue to uh, – do we have anything uh, – the, the, the website. You can go to our website at www.scubaobsessed.com, or you can listen to the Mud Club's website. Visit it, <laughs> mudclub.scubaobsessed.com. On Facebook, facebook.com forward slash scuba obsessed, Twitter at scuba obsessed, and Google Play, it's www.google.com forward slash plus scuba obsessed. And do you guys have anything to plug? No, I think we pretty much said it, other than don't forget Wolves. Uh, I'll be up there Saturday for lunch. Yep. And after that, but I will not be diving until as long as I can get rid of the rest of this damn yeah. chest cold. Well, uh, in April, I will be. Yeah, this is this is a good time. If you have to pick a time of year to to recover, this sure beats it than the middle of the summer. 
Yep, and I got my one of my regulator sets back, so I've got my 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 freezing regulators ready to roll plus my normal one. So I'm now diveable. Jim, you got anything you want to plug? Uh, just uh, support your shops and the uh, different programs that are running this weekend. Uh, Milwaukee uh, Goose Ships Festival and the Mid Ohio uh, Dive Show. Yep, Scuba Fest. Scuba Fest. Thank you. Scuba Fest. Okay, well, I think we'll end it with a with a joke. And uh, once again, thank everybody who came into the chat room. We had Colty Sub, we had Dave Toneman, we had a bunch of uh, guests, other guests pop in. So here we go. We have uh, a priest and a confessional, confessional, and he hears from the other side. Bless me, Father Fry of sin. I have been with a, a loose girl. The priest asked, "Is that you, little Joey Panagon?" Well, yes, it is, Father. And who is that girl you're with? I, I can't tell you, Father. I don't want to ruin her reputation. Well, Joey, I'm sure I'll find out her name sooner or later. You may as may tell me now. Was it uh, Tina Mint- Madinetti? I cannot say. Was it Teresa Mazzarelli? I'll, I'll never tell. Was it Nina Caparelli? I'm sorry, I can't name her. Was it Kathy Perallo? My lips are sealed. Was it Rosa D'Angelo then? Please, Father, I can't tell you. The priest sighs in frustration. You're very tight-lipped, and I admire that, but you sin, and you have to atone. You cannot be an altar boy now for four months. Now go and behave yourself. Joey walks back to the, to the pew, and his friend Franco slides over and whispered, What'd you get? Four months vacation and five good leads. <laughs> Bad. Should have had a couple of Hail Marys in there, though. <laughs> mm, God will get you for that. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, that, that could happen. So until next week, go out there and get wet. And stay safe. And don't do anything you have to confess in confessional. Recording has been completed.